Welcome to A Higher Future in Healthcare, a special series exploring a growing crisis in healthcare, hiring quality talent to deliver quality care. I'm Ubaldo Siminetti, your host, and I sit down with some of the industry's top voices in hiring and recruiting to dissect one of healthcare's biggest obstacles in the hopes of learning from each other and sharing that information to help us improve how and who we hire so that we can take better care of the communities and the people we serve. I am here with Andrea Leland. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, Dartmouth Health, um, and then we'll dive into a conversation about re- recruitment and hiring in healthcare. Okay. So Dartmouth Health is a large hospital system, academic health system, level one trauma center, and Lebanon, New Hampshire, which is really in rural New Hampshire when you think cows and farms, and we are are definitely in that part of New England, which is a beautiful place to live and work, but we are a health system. We have other hospitals throughout the state and even into more, uh, I would say, urban living in the southern part when you get near the Massachusetts border. We have uh, a couple hospitals that are in great college communities, Cheshire Medical Center in Keene, mm-hmm. and some uh, affiliate hospitals that are, are definitely within the Lebanon area of the Upper Valley. Okay. And so we support six hospitals and uh, two ambulatory surgery centers and 30 ambulatory clinics throughout New Hampshire and in Vermont. And, and how did you get into the role you're in today? Because you, you as you said before we hit record, you, you've been there for 19 years and you kind of ended up in physician recruitment. How did that happen? What was that journey? Yes, we in the industry, we joke and say no one decides they're going to be a physician recruiter. (laughs) That's not their career aspiration, but people tend to fall into it and and stay there. And so I started after getting an MBA in healthcare, working in the president's office, managing faculty appointments, the academic side for Mm -hmm. the clinic, and really grew to love working with the physician population. Mm. And so I kind of cut my teeth in my first post-grad school job uh, and ended up staying there for a while before I went into the medical staff side, which is credentialing, privileging, Mm. and uh, commercial enrollment. And so continued to work with the provider population and enjoyed that, did that for almost a decade and decided I was ready for a change. And we worked so closely with recruitment. I had a colleague who convinced me to give it a try and I fell in love. I, I yeah. loved using that expertise I'd built for several years in the provider space and then making connections with great providers and talking about opportunities to really provide quality patient care in the community where I live and right. where my family receives care. So I had a, a vested personal interest too, not just a professional for sure. interest. And, and why? Because I've heard that before, you know, that um, recruiters don't end up, they don't seek that out but they sort of end up there. Why do you think that is? That's a really good question. I'm not sure I know the answer, but I will say that once people start in that profession, you find that you're part of a much larger group of individuals that truly collaborate and share best practices and will help you. And that's really cool. I've been in a few other industries where it wasn't quite that same tight-knit group. There's a lot of shared resources. You think we'd all be competing with each other, which we are to a degree, but there's just so much knowledge being shared and support and understanding of the challenges, the frustrations you have. Mm -hmm. 
I think really when you go into provider recruitment and you find that you are successful, it encourages you to, to continue. But you can only be successful if you truly understand the challenges and the barriers that you're facing and you can help to, to remove those to mm -hmm. be successful. Sure. So it's not, it, most recruitment jobs are very transactional. You post a job, right. somebody applies, you process, mm -hmm. you know, by sending to a hiring manager, maybe you have a brief email exchange or conversation. Position recruiters are completely different. We develop a rapport and a relationship with you as a candidate. We get to know you, we get to know the needs of your family, because most people mm -hmm. are relocating. And For sure. So it's a long process. It's not a, a quick, you apply, you hire, you start. Right. It can be anywhere up to, to two years when you mm. start talking with a provider before they make the decision to come and sign with you. Well, and, and you have a, a very vested interest in making sure that the people you're bringing to your health system match that mission and, and, and passion. Because like you said earlier, uh, your family is seeking care there, right? So, so talk a little bit about that because that's, again, different too from other industries. I mean, you, this is someplace where you're, you're helping to hire the people who are going to care for you and your family. That's right. It, it is certainly having that personal vested interest makes it a lot more authentic what mm -hmm. you do, the conversations you have. And on both sides, too, because as somebody who receives health care, I'm able to tell them my experience, not only as an employee of that health care system, mm. but as a patient. Yep. And so I, I shared earlier, but I have a, a child with special needs, and it's really nice to be part of a system that I can easily navigate, mm -hmm. uh, that his primary care providers know all his specialty providers on a first-name basis. Mm. And I'm not driving into large cities, dealing with parking, paying for hotel rooms overnight, you know, I can get yeah. that in a small rural area of New Hampshire, yeah. pick my son up three miles away from the, the medical center, bring him in. So I appreciate that from a perspective of being a patient. Mm -hmm. But I also want to make sure the people we're bringing on board are going to be the best of the best to provide that care that, that my family and other families in our community needs. Yeah. What, what does your team do to ensure that everybody who's evaluating these physicians is on the same page in terms of exactly what you're looking for like what are those criteria that are required to be successful at Dartmouth Health I think you hit on it earlier when you said a shared vision yeah. mission you really want people who care mm -hmm. I, this is certainly uh, a job but it, it's it's your life mm -hmm. and yeah. it's important to Make sure that you bring people into your organization who care about providing quality patient mm -hmm. care, who care about making connections with patients and other employees. Mm -hmm. it, it's not just a come in, punch a clock, and, and leave. Right. I, these people dedicate their lives to this profession. And so it, mm -hmm. it's in everyone's best interest to find people who align with your vision, your mission, and, and your goals of your organization. What are uh, the biggest obstacles you're facing right now in terms of recruitment? Position shortages. Okay. I will definitely say the active market is has really been smaller than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. It's more competitive than it's ever been. You hmm. primarily have new grads leaving training that are looking for positions to hire experienced providers is a lot more challenging than it's ever been. Yeah. And it's competitive. So it, it's no longer 
uh, your, for us, it was our Ivy League academic name that was a big draw. That's mm. not enough anymore. Interesting. We're competing not just on compensation, but on yeah. quality of life benefits like vacation time, mm. loan forgiveness, flexible scheduling, job sharing. And not all healthcare systems have the ability to, to truly flex with some of those things. Right. It's, it's a lot harder than it's ever been because there's more competition than there's ever been. Yeah. And there's a smaller pool of candidates. How are you addressing the, the competition piece? Well, I don't want to give away all my secrets. <laughs> no, of course, but, of course, but, yeah, no, of course. I, I think it's it's definitely something we're still learning and being able to to pivot and adapt and see what's working, what's not working. It's it's really challenging to do that, but we try to to really sell that work life balance, the beautiful four season living, no sales tax, no income tax. There are some great benefits too of working for a nonprofit academic system. If I have a provider who who wants to make uh, a really high salary, we might not be the best fit for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really finding people who align with what they're seeking and it's not just about the salary. Yeah, love that. So selling those other aspects are really what help to, to set us apart from Absolutely. competition. What, what do you see as sort of the future of hiring? Not, not necessarily just for Dartmouth, but for the healthcare industry in general. I think it's going to get harder yeah. and harder over time. I think we we all did not expect to be where we are now, mm -hmm. but I continue to see, you know, the AAMC has provided a lot of information and statistics on the physician shortage, the great resignation, mm -hmm. and looking at what the future looks like in 2030 and 2040. It's really scary. Yeah, why? It's really why? scary. Like what's what's what are the key indicators that we should be concerned about? I'm not a, a subject matter expert on this, but a lot of what I've read is just showing that there are more people leaving the, the workforce mm -hmm. in the provider space than are entering the workspace. Sure. And, yeah. and my anecdotal thoughts on it are more that people entering the workforce are not as productive as people leaving. It takes mm. time. So you almost need right. to hire one and a half to two people to fill a retiring position who's built an impressive, productive mm -hmm. practice over a career. Absolutely. So how, how close, you mentioned 2030, 2040, but I mean, how close you, do you think we are to like that crossroads where things could go fairly bad healthcare-wise? We're feeling it already. Yeah. I think we've seen across the nation a huge impact just in primary care yeah. and trying to establish care with, with your primary care doctor. Panels are full. There are no open panels. Mm -hmm. There's long wait lists. Access is a huge issue, mm. more I think in that space than in specialty care. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we'll have to be creative as we build a workforce. There's gonna need to be more initiatives on workforce development and how can we get people at a much younger point in their life to consider a profession in medicine. Right. We've seen states like New York offer you know, medical mm -hmm. school for tuition uh, coverage, we'll start to see more programs that may be funded at the state or federal level to help encourage mm -hmm. that to combat those shortages. I don't know if it will be enough and if it will be quick enough, right? Because we always tend to be reactive. And so the more proactive we can be at these initiatives will make a difference. But I think we're already kind of be behind the, the eight ball there. A little bit. Yeah, I've, I've kind of heard the same thing. And particularly in the fact that, you know, maybe uh, that there aren't enough even spots, right? Like mm -hmm. residency spots or, you know, programs like you're talking about, there just aren't 
enough physically, if we think about it that way, to get to put to fill the top of the funnel. There's less people desiring to go into academic medicine. Yeah. So as an academic health system, we have to have providers to train medical students, residents, and fellows. Yeah. So if you don't have faculty, clinical faculty that are able to teach and willing to, to join your workforce to do that role, mm -hmm. then the spots are going to continue to be limited. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it seems a little scary, but <laughs> what, what does an organization like AAPPR provide that can sort of give us a little bit of light on, on you know, an innovation, right? Or what technology, what, what kind of things are there through an organization like this or kind of in general that if we start adopting now, maybe we can speed things up a little bit. APPR is fantastic at providing benchmarking data. Okay. They do an annual report, and that's the type of information that helps your leadership to make decisions on resources you need, on change you need to happen. Mm -hmm. And so they provide you the tools to kind of help mm -hmm. your cause at a local level. Okay. And I think also just a, a incredible high number of people in your profession who share their creative solutions. Mm -hmm. Again, we talked about that. There's yeah. just such camaraderie and collaboration that we're constantly learning from each other. And that's unheard of, I think, for people to be so forthcoming with those best practices and yeah. so supportive. There's so many webinars, educational content, conferences, and then there's quite a few AAPPR subgroups that are for your region. Sure. And so I live in New England. We have a New England group that also provides that at a, a more geographic level. Okay, that's great. So yeah, in essence, I, you know, I, I guess I see AAPPR as giving voice to recruiters who often don't feel like they, they can't. And I know you all, you in particular, have talked about you're making that voice for yourself, like you're standing up. And But there are a lot of recruiters who maybe don't feel like they have kind of that ability to do that. And um, so, so what's like what, what's your advice for them? Like, how do they stand up and say, "Look, I can't keep bringing you candidates, for example, if you're going to treat them this way and they're going to leave because of the environment that we've created for them." How do you know? How can a recruiter just stand up and say something like that? It starts with building credibility and rapport. Okay. When you yeah. have that basic trust with the people you're working with on a regular basis. Yeah and that credibility, they will listen to you. Yeah. If you try to go in and share that feedback without that baseline, having that rapport and being mm -hmm. credible, you won't make movement forward. Right. And so I think that's something that my team has done really well over time. And we try to help new people coming into our team to really learn those cornerstone steps for how do you become a trusted business partner. Yeah. You're not just a recruiter. You're not Great just point. somebody yeah. in HR or on the provider recruitment team. Yeah. You're part of that that team. Maybe it's radiology. You're part of the radiology service line. Yeah. You are their trusted business partner mm. who's going to help bring providers to them. It goes both ways. But until you prove to them that you're credible and you have that rapport, you're not yeah. going to make progress. And I imagine that's where maybe like the benchmarking data that you talked about becomes really helpful in that situation. Because if you can walk in with that data and say, look, Here's how this applies to us. You can start to build that, at least that credibility and thought leadership. And look, I, I, I have this information here that's going to help us hire better. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And they give you the tools and so much yeah. education on how to do that. 
Yeah. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't have experience speaking with leadership at a high level. Absolutely. Or you're somebody who who struggles to, to find your voice. Yeah. AAPPR gives you that educational content to help you grow and mature within that, not just on how to recruit a position, yeah. but how to be a trusted business partner. I love it. I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough, Andrea. Thank you so much for your time. Any last words of wisdom? <laughs> Don't give up. Hang in Good. there. It's worth it. I think this is one of those jobs that you truly find such validation, mm -hmm. and it is an incredible job that if you give up, you miss you, you miss the rewards and the benefits. And so it, it's like a roller coaster. Some days are, are you're on a high and some days you're low, but you just kind of ride them out and, and you surround yourself with people who will help you get through those moments. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I really you're appreciate welcome. it. A Higher Future in Healthcare is a production of IIA Healthcare, a technology organization powered by the Interview IA interview platform designed to help healthcare organizations hire better. Learn more at www.iiahealthcare.com and in collaboration with AAPPR, the Association for Advancing Physician and Provider Recruitment, the leading authority on physician and provider recruitment and retention. Learn more at www.aappr.org.